0: Hey everyone. Welcome to DevCast. We're so happy you're joining us this afternoon or this evening, whenever you're listening to it. All our devcasts are available on our website, devtechnology.com. My name is John Janik. I'm your host. I'm joined today by Joyce Karshwab, who's our agile evangelist and coach, and our lead for our community of practice at Dev. Joyce Thanks for spending some time with us today. I understand we're going to be talking about Kanban versus Scrum.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me back. I'm really excited to be here. I think this will be a great topic because these are things that apply to so many agile projects that are trying to just get it right, you know, all the time and evolve their practices.
0: Yeah, so it's been very interesting, you know, recently we keep hearing about Agile and organizations that struggle to see Agile in practice. You know, why don't you take us into the way back, right? So Agile is now more than 20 years old. And in fact, we we brought you onto the show, right? And you told us a little bit about Big Agile when it first launched. Not Big Agile as in Capital B, but in other words, the movement, right? Right. And I think what's really interesting is that, you know, we're seeing a lot of diversification in the space as people continue to think about what Agile is and what it means. You and I have had a couple of really great talks about it. Why don't you kind of just roll us back real quickly and and just tell us what is the state of practice right now and kind of where are some of the rough edges?
1: Well, I think what's happened is that we had the Agile Manifesto as our starting point. And that was great, right? We get these very simple principles, very simple manifesto, very simple list of values. And then what happened is everybody sort of started interpreting what that meant. And so you get different frameworks, different interpretations of how to apply it. And, you know, so you get just like the lean programming, extreme programming kind of way of doing things. uh, Very lightweight, very flexible. And then you also get things like Scrum, you get things like SAFE, you get things like Kanban, and sometimes you're even getting hybrids of them, you know, Scrumban, uh, things like that. And I-, I think what's often happened is people get familiar with one type of practice, and that's kind of their, I don't want to say rut, but that's, that's the row they hoe. That's what they stick to. They got trained in it, they learned it, it worked well, they just keep applying it. And that, that works, that's great. But I also think there can be some richness in a, a discussion of what tools these various frameworks can lend to each other and how they can complement each other and how they're different expressions of Agile. Because I don't, I don't want to say that any of them are right or wrong. I, I think it's more of a matter of are they right or wrong for the current situation or the problem you're trying to solve at the time.
0: I really empathize with that and it makes a lot of sense, right? When you talk about are they right or wrong for the situation, I think that is key on all of these conversations because we sometimes – especially technologists right i i was joking around with a colleague and and i was talking about boy this whole agile is safe good is safe bad is scrum good is scrum bad right i haven't seen this kind of passion around something as simple as technology since you know the apple versus pc days <laughs> of, the, of the 90s right and and i think it's really interesting because there's a lot of people are very stuck on their frameworks. And at the end of the day, the core of Agile was to help advance the art and delivery of value for end users. Right. And so and so when you said, yeah, really it's so much of picking the right framework depends on the circumstances and depends on the culture of the organization you're working in and depends on the product that you're trying to advance and the service that you're trying to deliver. Those things I think we oftentimes really don't think about in context because those questions need to come first before we even start a conversation around what framework are we going to pick to deliver. And I think it's always interesting that you can even iterate through that. So I think one of the things we're going to talk about today, right, is this whole idea of two of the major frameworks, Kanban and Scrum, right, and talking a little bit about what are the differences between those two and when might I select one over the other. Why don't you take us through some of those conversations? I guess maybe we'll start with Kanban.
1: Sure, sure. And and I guess kind of to get to your point of the passion around this and using the same tool over and over, I often use the analogy of, you know, you can get a, a screw in the wall with a hammer or a screwdriver, one tool is going to work better. So you just got to pick the right tool and sometimes even a drill. So that's kind of how I look at these frameworks. So as far as Kanban, I, I, I always feel like Kanban in a way is a super lightweight, super easy way to introduce people to agile values. And I think it's especially great because you know, You don't have to be anybody who's a technologist to appreciate it. You know, I've I've used this when my kid was in middle school to help him manage his homework and his extracurriculars when he got overloaded at one point. I've seen people use Kanban to manage planning a vacation or planning a big event like a wedding. You know, it's basically just write down everything that's got to be done and make sure it's getting done. That's it. Keep things moving. So to me, the key thing that Kanban is good at is increasing flow, and that's you know, if you've got a situation where keeping it moving, keeping the flow of work moving is the key priority, that's probably where Kanban is what you should really be starting to think about as a pretty valuable framework for you to use.
0: So Joyce, when we're thinking about that concept of maintaining and accelerating delivery, and especially from a capacity perspective, right? It's interesting so you would tend to say okay there's a lot of folks that look at kanban and say oh this is overly simplistic right but yet you can look at tools like trello and there are entire industries built around flow-based product management right oh yeah i'm kind of curious what you know so if the core value is flow and capacity and delivery that sounds a lot like basic operations right so what kinds of circumstances have you seen where Kanban's been really effective in delivery?
1: Well, I think on the projects that we've supported, where we tend to use Kanban is any situation where your priorities are going to be changing constantly because that just doesn't work in something like a scrum or safe, where you do your planning all up front for an iteration or a sprint. Kanban allows you to be flexible. So you're, you're working on getting as much throughput as possible, but also allows for flexibility. And given those two kind of axes, we use this a lot in situations like help desk support, or infrastructure support where you could have a plan of what you're going to do that week or that day. But you know the minute production goes down, that plan goes out the window because the number one priority is suddenly, let's get production back up. So I think that Kanban is great for those kinds of environments where priorities can change and evolve very quickly. And this is not to say that Kanban has no rules and no priority. You know, You can have things like what's referred to as a class of service And a good analogy I heard for this once was, think of being on I-66, a class of service is kind of like using the HOV lane. So maybe if you get a ticket, and normally it would be considered an ordinarily priority ticket, you know, it wouldn't float to the top, but it's coming from a director's office or a, a VIP of some kind, maybe it gets bumped into that HOV lane. So it's maybe not as important as prod going down, but a little more important than somebody else saying, hey... I need my password changed or I need my access to this site fixed um, because of their status. So you can you can sort things out a little bit and do like express lane flows in your boards so that you can treat different tickets different ways, which I think is a super cool way to incorporate some lightweight prioritization without having to go through and say, well, we have a thousand things in our backlog. Let's make sure each of them is prioritized you're not really doing that you're just saying these are in the super high priority these are in the medium high priority and this is like everything else that we're going to get to um i also think a really good concept from kanban that i also try to use sometimes with my other groups is the idea of work in progress limits wip limits because what can happen a lot of times is you know people grab a ticket they get started and maybe they hit a roadblock or get stuck or lose interest well That ticket then can maybe sit in the in-progress or in-testing lane and not move forward quickly. Well, Kanban tries to control that by saying, you know, that's not okay. We can only have three or five or however many the team agrees on tickets in this column at a time. So if something is getting stuck... Because somebody can't move it forward, the team is going to swarm and react to push the ticket along to closure because the key value, again, is flow and the metric to measure that is cycle time. How long does it take from the time that thing went to in progress to done? And that's what you're kind of keeping an eye on. Is that a reasonable amount of time for that type of ticket?
0: So the way this works then in that context is we have a lot of flexibility to move work into the pipeline or out of the pipeline, depending on what the demands of the current situation look like. To your point, if we get a priority action that needs to come into an immediate work state, Kanban allows for that, right? Right,
1: right. You don't have to drop everything and restart the sprint, or even worse, just say, okay, guys, I'm sorry, you're going to have to get everything done that we'd planned in the sprint And you're going to have to take care of this priority action that's going to take, you know, 20 hours. So it's going to be a rough week. Kanban kind of just says, okay, we've got this much capacity to work with. What are the most important things to get done? And that's always the big question. What's the most important thing to get done to deliver value? And that depends on what's going on in the environment at the time.
0: So that's interesting. So let's put Kanban to the side, then we'll come back to it in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about Scrum. And it almost sounds like what you're going to walk me through is a flip side of the coin, right? Where Kanban is very much a react to what's important at the time it's important. How does Scrum work in comparison?
1: Yeah. And and I think before we fully leave the idea of Kanban, one of the things that's really important is to note that a lot of times with Kanban, it works best when your risk's and your work are very well-defined. You know, you know your risks, your work is well-defined, and that's why I think it works best for a service-oriented kind of project or task. Scrum, on the other hand, I think can deal with capacity or situations where risk is unknown, where your work is complicated or new or inventive. So there's a creative element there that you're doing more exploratory work. That is not to say... You can never use Kanban to do new development. I don't want anybody to misunderstand that. But I, I'm I'm just saying that in our experience, we have found our teams are very successful using Kanban for a more service-oriented type of environment and Scrum for a more development and new build type of environment. So I guess let me walk you through the way I sort of see the, a comparison or contrast on this. Scrum focuses also, of course, on delivering value, business value. And one of the key elements of that is that you want to deliver regularly on a cadence. So if your sprints are every two weeks, every two weeks you should have something potentially shippable, something that the customer could use. So regularly producing something important, valuable, that's going to help your end users. So, yes, that's a type of flow, but it's not flow for flow's sake. It is flow to achieve delivery. And I think there is a little bit of a difference there. And the cadence is very important that we're very much focused on keeping a certain amount of work in a certain time box and repeating that over and over and over. The teams need to rely on ceremonies to help them achieve this. And the ceremonies help them with the planning as they start a sprint, they help them with demonstrating what work was accomplished to the product owner or business owner. They help with retrospectives so they can reflect back and improve. So Scrum can also be really useful for teams that are trying to do some pretty sophisticated things, but they don't have that culture of improvement baked in yet. You know, in Kanban, you should still be doing your retros, but if your team doesn't have that culture of improvement already, where they're going to know when they need to do them, or schedule them, you might need something like Scrum to have a little bit of like, hey, guys, remember, it's the end of the sprint. It's time to do our retro, whether we think we need it or not, you know, that kind of thing. It's good for us. Whereas in Kanban, the team, it might be a more mature team that could, if they're doing new development, say it's time for retro. I also think the type of work, like I said, is key. You know, with Scrum, I think it works really well when you have unknown risks, lots of things like unknown unknowns, those um Kinefin type problems. We don't even know what we don't know yet about how this is gonna work, whether it's software or hardware product you're building, and that the work is complicated. Feature orientation tends to be very important in Scrum more than service orientation. So you're building. You know, for lack of a better term, lots of widgets that are going to work together and deliver value for the customer, as opposed to services, maybe. Now, I'm not saying that people can't successfully use either of these frameworks for different purposes. People already do. But this is what we at Dev Technology have found works well, especially working on our government contracts to make sure that we are supporting our customers in the ways they need.
0: So you said a couple of things I want to key in on that are really interesting. Because my first inclination was, what do you mean? What do you mean scrums better than Kanban at, at kind of exploration? That doesn't make any sense. But as I thought about it, I realized that, you know, I think one of the challenges that you can have with Kanban, and I've seen this in practice, I'm sure you, you have too, is the forever task, right? The task that moves in progress and then never moves out of in progress. And nobody has the courage To say, this isn't getting done, we're going to move this back into to-do, right? Because it's either too important or too high profile or attached to somebody who the organization sees as senior enough that doing so would just be like a, a major faux pas, right? So I think that it is interesting that one of the things we talk about all the time in innovation contexts is that constraints can actually help with innovation, And so I'd be curious if you've seen instances where, because of the structure of Scrum, it actually helps the team somewhat refine what do they need to focus on, where do they need to innovate, and how do they need to bring that innovation forward? Because as you're describing to me, what I'm realizing is that, well, yeah, I could see how taking the time to do the planning ahead of the actual work and saying, oh, and by the way, we're going to time box this into a week, two weeks, four weeks, whatever that sprint cycle looks like. And we expect to have this kind of value added deliverable at the end of this effort. Well, now you've actually got some constraints. And so you're forced if you're doing true new development, new research, new innovation work. Well, now you have to scope. You have to scope, scope, scope way, way down, right? You have to get as, as finite a task as you can. Because you have to complete it. Is that, is right. that what you've seen?
1: Yeah. And, and I think the teams that are most successful get good at that. They get really good at think big, but work small. You know, like, okay, let's dream of what that, you know, crazy feature is that the customer came to us and said they have to have. But let's figure out how to slice it into something that will deliver them just enough in 2 weeks and then again in a month and then we'll keep growing it. And I think most successful companies, you know, the little startups we all are like, wow, how did that startup ever get to be what it is? Paradigm breakers. They started that way where they took something and they did it bare bones and then fleshed it out more. So teams that are really good at planning and really good at saying what is the simplest part of this we can deliver. That's going to be getting at key elements here. What do they what does a customer really want? And what is the simplest part of it? And then let's build on that. I think they're really good at that. And teams that are pretty strict, a lot of teams build working agreements or rules around their planning where they may say something like, anything that's bigger than a a size 13 or whatever their metric is, that's an epic and we have to start breaking it down. We won't work with that. Trying to make everything no more than five because we know five, it feels good to us. That feels like our sweet spot where we know we can crank out good work, and do it quickly with good quality. And they know themselves well enough to do that. And that does take some time to figure out and some maturity. But I I do think that's right. And there's nothing like a good forcing function to force a little innovation. and, uh, And certainly the collaboration. Because one of the things I noticed when I was a scrum master is, you know, developers are puzzle solvers. They love to work through the problem. And sometimes what can happen is a developer, you know, they grab a ticket, their name's on it. So everybody else thinks, okay, they've got the ball, but maybe they've hit a roadblock and maybe they're hesitant to ask for help because they really just want to be the one to solve the problem. The nice thing about having that end of scrum time box is they have to ask for help at some point or else, you know, it's not going to be finished. And one of the rules of thumb I used with my developers, and I always said this with a joke and a smile, was, hey, if you try twice and you can't figure it out, it's probably time to reach for help. Because remember, we're on a clock and the odds are just talking it through, you're going to figure it out. Just articulating your problem is usually enough for you to go, oh, okay, never mind. I got it. And if not, somebody else can probably just fill in the gaps. So remember, you know, that is one of the key things about Agile as well as the collaboration and the teamwork. And too often when you end up on some of the teams that are just starting to learn how to embrace agility, what they're really doing is there's a bunch of individuals taking a bunch of individual tasks and working independently rather than a group of people completing things as a group and taking responsibility as a group, and as a team, and succeeding and failing together.
0: So let's talk about that just real quick. You know, I know the way you're describing it, it's starting to sound a little more complex than Kanban, right? So Kanban is three phases, right? To do, doing, done. and, And fair enough, we can add complexity onto it, but at the core of the process, it's just flow. Is it planned? Are you doing it? Or is it done? Right. So far, our conversation has suddenly included numbers and, <laughs> and iterations and all these, you know, you, you've thrown in sprints, right? You've thrown out terminology around Scrum. So it sounds like it's a much more complicated construct. But you also said something earlier, which is really interesting to me. And that's that if you don't have, or if you were in the middle of those cultural transformations to get you to a modern agile organization, Scrum can help because it has those ceremonies. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what does that look like? Do you have to go to a class? Is it just-in-time training? Like, how do you get familiar with those practices so that they become second nature?
1: Right, yeah, and I don't want to shortchange Kanban. I think that Kanban done well can be, have at least as much structure as Scrum in its own way, but I think that its structure is very subtle and it's more driven by the culture of the team. So the team itself needs to maybe know a little bit more about what they need. And that might be why sometimes if you're if you're starting a transformation or in the middle of a transformation, it may just be easier to say, and we're picking Scrum as the framework of choice today. You know, it could be a different one. Hey everybody, this is the flavor we have chosen. We've chosen to go with Scrum definitely your scrum masters should be trained. They need to be certified. And if the product owners are on your team, It would help to make sure they're certified and trained. A lot of times your developers, they may not need to go to the full CSM type class, or now there's actually a Scrum training targeted for developers. I think it's called a CSD credential for certified Scrum developer. Here at Dev, a lot of times what we do is we run, you know, like a half day Scrum class internally that's sort of Scrum basics, you know, like intro to Scrum 101. Here's the key terms. Here's the key ceremonies. This is what it feels like. And this is what it looks like. Yours truly often does those classes. <laughs> and one of the sneaky things that I like to do when I do that training is I run it like a sprint and I hang up flip charts that say, whether it's first hour or whatever, but I name them by sprint. And I put all the topics we've got to cover on stickies off to the left and have a couple of flip charts for however many time periods we're going to have. And I move them over. And so, in a very sneaky way, we're doing Scrum while we're learning Scrum. And usually, someone does figure that out sometime in the class. They're like, "Oh, wait, you—that's what you're doing." And it's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing." So it's really all—not all that hard, guys. It's—it's it's just a different way of thinking about keeping your to-do list as a group. So I, I do think that the training and the certifications help because it makes sure that you're balancing all of the parts of the Scrum practice together. You know, a lot of people may focus on, okay, let's get our boards correct, or let's make sure we have really good metrics or whatever. But one of the most common things that can happen is when things get difficult, the first thing that goes is the retrospective. And when things get difficult, the thing you need to do most is the retrospective. When teams are really under the gun, they're very busy, they're very stressed. The first thing you'll hear is, let's just skip the retro, we're too busy.
0: Yeah, this gets at those cultural conversations, yeah, right? exactly. Because it's not just the retro, but it's also, and I think we've talked about the zombie stand-ups, right? Right. The, everything starts to break down if you don't kind of honor the culture that you're trying to instantiate, right? And the point of the ceremony is to help you on that path so you don't right. think about it, right?
1: Right. And, uh, you know, in a way, it's, it's kind of like any ceremony, Think of a wedding, think of a formal ceremony with government. You know, there's a reason the ritual has different parts, and those different parts have meaning. And the level to which you participate in them is usually the level to which you'll get something out. You know, if you really pay attention when you speak certain words, when you make a promise, or when you participate in a religious ceremony or a holiday ceremony, the degree to which you pay attention to those words and think about them really enriches you and you enrich the ceremony. The degree to which you go through the motions, well, maybe you'll nod off. I don't know. And maybe you won't get anything out of it. So I think that you know, having the ceremonies can be really important in kind of snapping the team out of those tendencies to go to disorganization and go back to the behavior of, we're just a bunch of individuals. My work needs to be done. I'm not worried about anybody else, that kind of thing. But the more that you help the team through the ceremonies to achieve a collective consciousness, I think that's that's where you're headed. And a good scrum master and a good coach do that. You know, they can facilitate that and that's what you need them to do.
0: That's really cool. So in 30 seconds, right, as we kind of wrap things up, Let me ask you this. We've kind of established that Kanban is really looking at flow. It's really great for services, can be used for many things. But one of the foundations that is you really do have to have a good, solid, working, agile culture and organization in place to facilitate it, right? And then Scrum, it has a little more structure to it, gives you some constraints, which are actually really good for innovation. In a slightly different perspective, it puts more of the planning up front. If you were going to tell someone where to get started, if you had somebody that came to you and said, Joyce, you know, yeah, I've done some reading. I've read the Agile Manifesto. I've been to the Scrum Alliance website. I've read about the Toyota production system and stuff like that. And I want to do X. Where would you point them to say, here's some of the reading. Here's some of the research. Here's some of the thinking you should do when you're trying to figure out how do you approach it? Or do you even say, you know, it's okay to start with one and switch to the other. You mentioned in the beginning, it's okay to even blend them together. It's important to find what works for the team and works for the organization. So so how would you advise somebody who is really kind of thinking about how do I make my team and my organization more agile in this in this plethora of frameworks that we have today?
1: Right. Very good question. I mean, I do think there was an organization I found called Kanban University. They had a great, like 10 page downloadable guide to Kanban, which really clarified a lot of concepts for me and made me understand it's not as simple as it looks. I mean, it's simple to start with for sure, but it is done well, like anything that looks simple. It's not. And that, you know, they offer training. And if that's the way you want to go, they are a great place to start. Scrum Alliance, obviously you can find training through them if you want to get certified. If you just want a taste of things, Udemy is an awesome resource to get you know, a quick video or free resources, maybe not certifications, but just free resources. And Scrum Alliance makes a lot of articles available for free. Agile Alliance is also sort of an agnostic site. They're general agile. So if you're just looking for What does this term mean they have a great glossary they have some great articles that are available even if you're not a member so those are some resources that i would look to to really help you understand what's going on but i do think the most important thing is start somewhere figure out what kind of work needs to be done and and just start because the biggest thing about agile is the emphasis on well You know, if it doesn't work the first time, we can always adjust and change and pivot. But the worst thing we can do is stand around and do nothing. So I think that you need to understand your work and your scope well enough to know, huh, you know, is this going to be the kind of thing where we're going to have pretty well-defined scope, pretty well-defined risk? People, when they take on a ticket, they're not going to realize that it was a, you know, quagmire of problems. They're going to understand what they're getting into. Or is this sort of a, an exploratory project, an inventive project, a new development project? Are we going to have a lot of risks because we've got external dependencies to our team? You know, maybe your system that you're building or working with interfaces with seven other systems. Well, that may not be the best candidate for a Kanban just because you're not in control of the whole environment. You've got to schedule things based on when it works also for the other systems. You know, those sorts of things. So, those kinds of questions are ones you can ask yourself if you're a coach, scrum master, or leader trying to decide what to do. And remember, you can always pick tools, even if you're doing scrum, you can always pick tools that are used in another system to help you out. That's kind of the way I look at this. I have certifications in several different frameworks, and I look at them as well, these are all things in my toolbox. And when I find a situation, it's okay for me to pull something out of that toolbox and say, you know what? This idea of maybe classes of service from Kanban would really help this Scrum team. Let's try to figure out how that could help. Or this idea of WIP limits even could help a Scrum team. Those are straight on Kanban concepts, but maybe you've got a Scrum team that's having a difficulty that they could address. So, you know, those are things that I think would be places to start when you're considering how to approach your work and taking on new tasks.
0: Joyce, I want to say thanks for joining us. I know you're going to be back. This is part of an ongoing series of conversations we're going to have about Agile, where Agile is headed, what it looks like going forward. So look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks for joining me for this conversation around Kanban versus Scrum and and everything that goes along with it. And we'll see everybody soon. Thanks for joining us. This is DevCast. I'm your host, John Janik, joined today by Joyce Karschwab, and we'll see you
1: soon.